The Charles Adler Show starts now. Welcome back to the Charles Adler Show podcast. Uh, for people who love inside baseball, when it comes to politics, I've got the best inside baseball guy uh, in Canada, Ken Bolsonkul, coming up in, in just a few moments. If you've never heard the name, uh, listen, and you will never forget the name. He's worked with them all. Uh, Harper, uh, Manning, uh, Christy Clark, uh, you name it. Uh, he has uh, worked with them over the course of many years. He's involved in academics. Uh, he's involved in uh, public policy. He's involved with our podcast in just a few moments. I just want to remind you that this show is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast apps. Be sure to hit the follow, please. The follow or the subscribe button uh, to get the episode at once. And if you don't have time to hear the entire show, catch it on demand on your favorite podcast app. Without further ado, without further ado, let's uh, get Ken uh, Boson Cool in here. Ken, it's great to see you again. Good to see you, Charles. And whatever technology you're using, I recommend it to anyone in the uh, podcasting uh, business. Uh, you look and sound uh, great. Why don't you just uh, share the secret for us so that we can help the entire industry here? Well, many people know the name Bose, uh, which is a great stereo sound, but they have an industrial strength set of headphones, and I'm using that. And uh, the camera is courtesy of an iPad Pro. So uh, if you want to look and sound like I do, then do neither, <laughs> do neither of those things, and but go get a Bose and an iPad Pro. The Bose 700. All right. uh, the Bose 700, so the, the headphones have the, uh, have the microphone installed. It's just it's, three, it's Bose, so yeah, it's, it's state-of-the-art. Three microphones on each in each headphone, and if, and if a, something drops over on that side of my house, it'll cancel the headphones, cancel the microphones on that side, and hopefully uh, people won't hear the, the the vase hitting the floor. Well, that's why they've got some of the smartest people in the world researching every single day at uh, Bose. Bose and Cool uses Bose. There you go. It's not a paid ad. It's just something I want to do for people involved in the in the podcast industry. If you're looking for state of the art, uh, you're looking at it and hearing it. Right now, Ken Bosinkula, I mentioned uh, that you'd worked with with Harper and with Manning and uh, Christy Clark and Ralph Klein. Have I have I left anyone out over the years? I don't think we have time for all the folks you left out. I recently <laughs> ran a leadership camp- campaign in Alberta. Uh, I run a, I run Rick McIver's leadership campaign. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been. I was involved in the Ontario Tories for a while, so I've done <laughs> politics in Ontario, Alberta, BC, and nationally. Uh, in some official capacity at some point. So did uh, Rachel Notley's campaign make a mistake uh, not hiring Ken Bolsonkul? Uh, I don't work for people on the left. Um, I work for uh, sensible people on the right. Um, that was an interesting campaign, and I had many things to say and write about it dur- during when it was happening. I think I think ultimately what happened in that campaign is that the people of Alberta were given a story about Daniel Smith, uh, that she was uh, uh, not the greatest leader and not the greatest person. And I probably contributed a little bit to some of that. But then she showed up on a debate stage and she had incredible presence and she had incredible ability to communicate a message. And everything that people were told about her turned out in that debate performance not to be true. And uh, I think that made the difference. And, uh, and not Lee... Um, Notley looked a little anxious and a little nervous, which surprised people because she'd been premier before. So I think, um, I think that debate performance was, uh, was what did what made the difference. Although I, I'll quickly add Charles that a United, a United 
Conservative Party in Alberta has never had such a horrible outcome, even though they won. They only won by a few seats and they came very close to losing. And for a united Conservative Party in Alberta, I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't take that to the bank. So you're born and bred Alberta Conservative. Can you explain uh, not just Alberta, but to the entire country where the line is for most Alberta born conservatives? Because for those people who are paying attention uh, to Danielle Smith and her campaign, and I certainly was, I kept asking, because I think of myself as a small C conservative, I kept asking myself, is this really what conservatism is about? And doesn't this go well beyond what, what most conservatives are, are looking for? I'm talking about all the conspiratorial crap and even the, the stuff about people being responsible for, uh, you know, for, for, for cancer. And just, there was just a lot of stuff there that, in my mind, had nothing to do with the sort of public policy world that you work in, that people like me pay attention to. Well, Charles, there are three kinds of people in the world. Uh, people like you and I who pay an unhealthy amount of attention to politics and see every every move and every every twit and toddle that happens and try to analyze it and understand it. And then there are a second group of people who occasionally hear about politics and are usually decided well before who they're going to vote for and they fit into categories. They don't generally change their vote, but they always vote. And then the third group of people are people who pay virtually no attention to politics at all. And the third group of people, generally, if you ask them in a non-election year to tell you something about politics, they will remember one thing about politics in the last year because their lives revolve around their families and their kids and their jobs and their piano lessons and their sports activities. And they just don't pay attention to politics. And our elections are decided by that third group. And that third group makes their decision based on whimsical impressions of leaders, and they don't follow the details of what's going on. And I think during the last campaign, those swing voters were told a story about Daniel Smith that you just outlined. But when they heard a snippet uh, during the debate, as I said earlier, I think they were they were convinced or she convinced them that she wasn't anything what people were saying. And I think the for the for the one or two minutes that they paid attention to politics in the days following that debate were the days that they decided they were gonna that she was an acceptable conservative. And I just don't think they know or, or learned about any of the rest of the stuff. Is it possible that uh, Danielle Smith is just a tremendous uh, performer and uh, the stuff that uh, people were nailing her on had to do with her talk show performances and that Danielle Smith is smart enough to understand that a debate against a Rachel Notley is not the same as a, as a talk show performance and therefore she wasn't bringing the same toys. Look, I, I've known Danielle uh, for my entire time in politics. We've crossed paths many times. Um, our friendship is a little, a little tattered right now because of some of the things I wrote about her. Um, but we were friends for a long time and she is an unbelievable she is an unbelievable political performer, um, but she has also made some catastrophic mistakes and statements in the past. And, you know, uh, how you draw those two together, um, I think the debate performance was an incredible political performer. Um, she put all of the skeletons deep in a closet and she put on a wonderful performance. And um, those of us that were we're reminding people about the skeletons just got overruled by that performance and, and, you know, not least poor performance in that debate. And, you know, those, those third group of people who, who decide elections, swing voters, um, 
you know, one of the things, one of the things Jason Kenney did most successfully in the election that he won with 58 or six, like no one since Peter Lougheed and the second Klein government had won with a bigger majority than Jason Kenney did. But one of the things Jason did was seed in the mind of the public that the huge downturn that happened during Rachel Notley's tenure was her fault. And, and that the reason pipelines didn't get built was her fault. And the reason the economy turned down was her fault. And, you know, I could put my economist hat on and, and argue with all of that. But um, the reality is, is many Albertans became deeply nervous about Rachel Notley and they, they, they attached her name to a very bad period in Alberta history. Now, you know, Jason Kenney went through his own rough patch, and we could have a long conversation about that too. But the reality is, is that Rachel Notley came to that election with a fair amount of a fair amount of baggage in sort of traditional conservative minds because of the of what I would call the fine the fine work Jason Kenney did of castigating her after her term in office. Is uh, Pierre Polyev uh, pulling a page out of the Jason Kenney uh, playbook in terms of? blaming the world's uh, number one talked about subject inflation on justin trudeau there, there are people who as you know i'll use your terms there are some people like us who pay an unhealthy an unhealthy amount of attention to politics who say yeah trudeau any prime minister contributes a, a little bit on the on the margins but inflation canadian problem world problem as a matter of fact canada's doing relatively well relative to the Rest of the world. Now, that's what those of us paying an unhealthy amount of attention to politics are saying. But Pierre Polyev isn't paying attention to us. Look, I, I think I think it's been a long time in Canada since we've had a communicator of the quality of Pierre Polyev. And again, I could put my economist hat and take issue with some of the details and some of the things that he says. But the fact of the matter is, he's an incredibly good communicator. Look, here's what I think is happening um, happening right now. As you as you know, Charles, elections are decided in two places in Canada, the 905 ring around Toronto and some of the swing ridings around uh, Vancouver. And there's a few other swing ridings across the country, but those are the two places that really matter. And Justin Trudeau in 2015 won that election not by uh, moving voters from conservative to liberal because Stephen Harper got as many votes in the 905 in 2015 as he did in 2011. Justin Trudeau won that election by bringing out a whole cadre of people who typically don't vote. Sort of 18 to 25-year-old women and men. And he did it largely on the promise of legalizing marijuana, but just his general comportment in that election drew a whole lot of people. He also used Facebook in a way that no Canadian politician had done before. And he brought all of those people into politics. And it was a remarkable feat. And I was part of that campaign votes in the 905 as he wanted. But Justin Trudeau increased the turnout among those people. Now, we're eight years later, and those people are now 28 to 35. And those people are now thinking about buying a home. And those people are now saying, what the heck is going on? I will never be able to buy a home. And Justin Trudeau hasn't said that they've heard in the last two years. But every time they turn on their YouTube and every time they turn on their television, there's a guy saying there's gatekeepers preventing you from having a house. And I actually think uh, I actually think that 
if Pierre Polyev wins the next election, he will win it because the same people that elected Justin Trudeau in 2000 marijuana will elect Pierre Polyev because Justin Trudeau didn't address the housing issue. And I mean, you pointed to inflation, and I think inflation is a is a word that economists love to talk about, but where that hits home for people is housing. And right now, housing is the top of the list. And Pierre's talking about it every single day. And those people hear one thing about politics in a year. I wouldn't be surprised if many of them have heard one thing about Justin Trudeau, which is that he separated from his wife, and one thing about Pierre, which is he cares about housing. And, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that if if Trudeau doesn't figure out a way to get into that debate and convince these people that he cares, Pierre's going to win the next election. So Ken Bozenkul, I mentioned the academic career, and uh, you've uh, done a lot of academic work at various universities, including my alma mater, uh, McGill University. So when you're teaching economics, do you ever teach your class that the federal government is the key government with respect to supply and demand of housing? (laughs) You know, uh, the course I actually teach uh, at McGill right now is a cor- is on is on public choice theory, because the students I'll get to your question in a second because the students spend ten months being told uh, and economics tells you that governments are benevolent and government was benevolent towards society what would be the best public policy choice and I come in there and say well what happens if bureaucrats are self interested what happens if politicians are self interested what happens if voters are self interested how does that change the calculation of public policy? So that's the course that I teach. In the past, I've taught uh, federalism, and um, I there are I'm a, I'm a big believer in the watertight compartments view of Canada, that the provinces have their responsibilities and the federal government has their responsibilities. But you know, Charles, that's the kind of stuff that people like you and I spend a lot of time thinking and talking about. That small cadre of people that pay a lot of attention to politics. But that third group of people, they just have a concern and they talk about what they're concerned about. And so I will tell you that largely housing is a provincial, municipal responsibility, largely. But if you run a federal campaign and the number one issue on the minds of those swing voters is housing and you tell them, gee, it would sure be nice to do something, but that's the responsibility of the city of Toronto. And the other guy says, I can tell you how that's going to turn out. Yeah, no, I, I over the years, uh, just doing regular, what we call, uh, we used to call shoe leather journalism. You know, I've covered a lot of conversations about housing and, and various housing crises. It never once was the federal government uh, the issue. It was always the province. It was always the municipality. And, and most important, it was always the neighborhoods, you know, people in Neighborhoods, people have been in, for, for in, living in neighborhoods for a long time. They, they never want the, the big, bad capitalist developer to come in and build housing. But n- not a single time, Ken, in any of these debates, these conversations, never has the federal government been, been seen as the bad guy. If you, if, if you and your listeners Google my name and the name Mike Moffat, uh, who's been writing a lot about housing and the Globe and Mail, you'll find an article that he and I wrote there a little while ago. And 
And something very interesting happened in the early 1970s. In the early 1970s, the federal government had generous tax treatment for people who built purpose-built rental housing. And if you built rental housing and then you could write off a huge portion of the cost of that, and then you could take that right off and apply it to the next building and the next building and the next building. And, you know, a lot of people got very rich. And then a government came along. I believe the guy leading it was a Trudeau and said, we don't like people getting very rich by building rental housing. And they got rid of that tax credit. And the amount of rental housing uh, between, and I, I, I'm going to get the dates wrong, but I think between 1970 and 1973 fell by something like 75 or 80% in one year. Whatever year they, they took away that tax incentive. And so my, Mike Moffat and I have said the federal government should bring it back, bring back that tax incentive. Um, you know, uh, yeah, some people are going to get shortages of supply uh, on housing. So, so I think there is there is something the federal government can do. There are things that they can do in sort of providing the right framework. And there's things they've done in the past that have that have been very good for housing. And so I I, I would say I have said with Mike that that's one of the things that the federal government should do. So that Trudeau you're talking about, of course, was Justin Trudeau's father. But when you talk about the real estate markets today especially in the areas that you mentioned, the most important battlegrounds, the suburbs of Toronto and Vancouver. Uh, all kinds of developers have been building and building and building um, huge uh, towers of, of rental uh, spaces in those battleground uh, suburbs, and it's, it's not as if the federal government has stopped them. Well, that's true, but here's... Here are two things that will provide some challenge. Three things that will provide some challenges for that. Challenge number one: the grandchildren of the baby boomers are now reaching adulthood, and you know, for the last ten years in Ontario, for example, the number of students, domestic Ontarians, if you will, going to university has been going down every single year. That's going to stop, and it's going to start going up. Point number two is we have a massive amount of immigration into Canada and I'm a huge believer in a massive amount of immigration to Canada, but the amount of people coming into Canada has been the Justin Trudeau government has decided to massively increase the amount of people coming into Canada that wholeheartedly. And point number three is in our universities, the way we fund our universities, instead of funding them by governments, giving them money to cover their costs, most universities are increasingly funding their costs by charging international students three, four, five times the tuition that they charge domestic students. And the number of international students, especially in Ontario, get a massive rate. And if you look at where the biggest shortages of housing in Ontario are, they are around the big public universities because those universities are attracting massive amounts of foreign students to cover their costs. And that's putting pressure on lo local housing markets. So, you know, Mike Moffat has shown that the amount of housing we're building is about 20 amount of housing we need if the growth in those baby boomer grandchildren starts, if we continue to increase our immigration, and if we continue to rely on foreign students to fund our universities. And I'm not, I'm not advocating, I would prefer not to advocate that we reverse necessarily any of those things. But if we're going to do those things, we're going to need enough find places for those people to live. And that is that is a challenge. It's it's you know, I'm an economist and we have like supply and demand curves. And right now the supply of 
housing is vastly, vastly out of step with the demand, given those three things that I just, I just uh, outlined. Now, more with Charles Adler. Is immigration going to be a hot issue in the next federal election, Ken Bosenkel? Um, I'm, I'm hesitating because the, my real, my true heartfelt answer is I hope not. Um, because where those debates have popped up in other countries, in Europe and stuff, we have a group of pot, the fringe, the fringe people's party has said some very disturbing things about immigration. Um, so if that's the debate that's coming, I hope we don't have it because there has been in Canada an unbelievable, and I would say almost world precedent setting cross political acceptance of high immigration level have a, on the left and on the right and in the center in Canada, we all support more immigration. We're a country of immigrants. Uh, I, I think you're an immigrant. Are you not Charles? Uh, you came yeah, to Canada yeah, at a young yeah. age. Yes. I, I, I'm an immigrant, but one of the, yeah, but Ken, one of the reasons I ask the question is because I don't have any doubt in my mind, regardless of what my hopes are. I don't have any doubt in my mind because of this supply and demand equation that you were talking about. We don't have enough uh, su- supply for the demand of housing that's creating um, upward pressure on housing. I have no doubt that immigration is a piece of that, so immigration will be brought up. But I also don't have any doubt that when immigration is brought up, the fringers in this country will pile on. They will turn it into a racial issue, and that is a room service yeah. opportunity for the Liberal Party to say, there you go again, Conservatives, you're racist. So I have to say, I haven't listened to every word he said, despite being in that category one we talked about earlier. But I think I think Pierre Polyev ought to be commended for continuing to say immigration is important in Canada as a country of immigrants. And, and you know, his, his latest ad, created by his wife, makes a point of how this country was built by immigrants. And so, so if Pierre Polyev continues to be put forward the message that immigration is important and focuses instead on solving the housing issue rather than blaming the housing issue on immigration, I think he will have done a great service for not only the country, but for, and as a conservative, I will, I will be applauding that very loudly. Um, If I hear the first, the first word uh, that the People's Party crap is in, is infecting the Conservative Party of Canada, I will be the first to stand up and jump up and down and scream and say that's not what conservatism is about. But so far, it, we haven't seen that. And like I said, I I would actually, not, not, not for the politics of it, I would commend uh, the latest family ad that, that, uh, that uh, Pierre Pauly have just released with his wife, narrating it's who is who is people are asking me who pierre polyev is and it's it's a it's a very it's about as pro-immigrant imagine and i'm very heartened by that and you know again uh, i think you know that i'm not arguing with you about this i'm simply uh, reminding you and anyone else who's paying attention to this that uh, the people's party really cost the conservatives in the last election they were doing their anti-vax stuff and some of their other stuff. And uh, Aaron O'Toole ended up wearing it. So I'm simply saying that regardless of whether Aaron O'Toole is fairly or unfairly wearing it, 
And regardless of whether or not Pierre Polyev is for or against immigration, my guess is that he and I and you are on exactly the same page. He is a conservative, and the People's Party is still seen by many in, in this country as a conservative a fringe party. And if the People's Party gets active on immigration in the ugly way that you and I were chatting about earlier, that's something that could cost Pierre Polyev. I mean, I, I could be wrong about that, but I'm, I'm simply looking at the, the game of chess and, and how it's played in this country. So I would, I would take a different tack. Uh, I wrote at the time that uh, Aaron O'Toole should have kicked out the members who were COVID deniers and, and, and anti-vaxxers in the same way that Doug Ford did in Ontario. He gave them very short shrift and Doug Ford stood in front of his caucus and said, if anyone else thinks that this COVID thing isn't serious and doesn't believe in what we're doing, there's the door and you're welcome to walk out through it. Um, Aaron O'Toole didn't do that. And as a result, those people that left uh, Doug Ford's caucus became members of fringe parties in Ontario who got no votes in the last election. And I would argue that the People's Party of Canada is where those people belong. And it's a good release valve. And the more of them that spend time over there, the better. And if my advice to Pierre Polyev is if one member of his caucus bring kinds of things that the People's Party is talking about, he should welcome them to leave the Conservative Party of Canada and join the People's Party. And that will be good for conservatism, good for Pierre Polyev. And it would have been good for Aaron O'Toole. I think he, he would have, he would have, I, I believe uh, he would have won that election if he had treated those caucus members the way Doug Ford did in Ontario. Once again, Ken, uh, no argument, not disagreeing <laughs> with you. Just asking out loud whether Pierre Polyev has a, a track record for exiling conservatives the way Doug Ford does. <laughs> Not yet. Um, but but I've known I've known Pierre. You know, the first time Pierre Polyev was on TV, uh, I was in the green room. Uh, we recruited this pimply little goggery. Uh, Ralph Klein, Stockwell Day wanted to run for the leadership of the conservative of the then Canadian Alliance. And he went to Ralph Klein and said, Ralph, I want to run. And Ralph said to him, I need you to stick around for another month and a half. So those of us who wanted him to run needed to start this draft Stockwell Day movement. And we found this little pimply guy, nerd uh, from the University of Calgary. And his name was Pierre Pauly Television and said, you know, the Canadian Alliance needs Stockwell Day. And I was the guy writing his line. So I've all of that to say. <laughs> Uh, I've known Pierre Polyev for a long, long time, and he is, uh, if nothing else, politically opportunistic. And if he thinks that his victory as a leader and his minister's office is going to be blocked by a couple of caucus members saying bad things on immigration, he will find a way to deal with it. And I'm not claiming that I know him uh, as well as you and certainly not uh, better than you, but I too met uh, Pierre Polyev a long time ago. He was that nerdy University of Calgary student. He was an up-and-coming wonderkind, and he was introduced to me by the executive producer of uh, Global Sunday, and so I had him on uh, Global Sunday uh, about uh, 22 years ago. It was the same time when I met uh, Danielle Smith, and I felt very fortunate there I was in in Calgary, one of my adopted hometowns, uh, meeting some of the the wonderkinds, meeting some future conservatives. Little did I know that one day one of them would be the future leader of the the National Party and the other the leader of the, the Provincial Alberta Party. But, uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I can honestly say that I, w- I was there, and, and I can honestly say that I was 
I was very impressed with, with both of them. So, Ken, let's uh, let's move forward to the business of uh, the Liberal Party. I know that you don't uh, work for the centre-left, uh, but uh, I just uh, would want to ask you this. If you were to put yourself in the position of someone advising Justin Trudeau, would you advise him to put the snowshoes on? No, no. Um, there are two. There are two very powerful things the Liberals have going for them. Number one is the liberal brand, and number two is the raw political talent of a guy named Justin Trudeau. And you know, I'm if I turn my camera around, you'll see that I'm in I'm in deep in rural Alberta. And so when I say nice things about Trudeau and and uh, speak quietly, um, <laughs> but. But the reality is in, in those ridings in the 905 and those ridings in BC that decide our national elections, uh, he has he has a lot of appeal. Um, number one, which isn't to say, I, I, and I pointed to what I think is his biggest problem right now, which is he has said nothing of substance on the issue and he's let Pierre have that entire part of the field. And if he continues to do that, he's going to lose the next election. I just can't say it more plain than that, but I have no doubt. And I've heard, and I understand that the entire fall economic statement is going to be a massive, you know, housing, housing budget. And if he can recapture those voters who are concerned about housing, one of Pierre's great strengths that I said earlier is his ability to communicate on an issue, but he's also doing something which I, I don't want to criticize him for because it's something the Harper team did in the early days. He's waiting until the election to put forward his policy. But if Justin Trudeau puts forward a whole bunch of policy that makes sense and he's got the power of the national government to communicate that, uh, he could he could fight to a draw and that's going to be and then it's going to be an interesting election. Um and if he can do that this fall and going into next spring, then I think it'll be like it'll be like in Alberta. Whoever runs the best campaign is going to win. I think I think it's going to be a fascinating election. I think we have a, a lot of raw political talent in Pierre Polyev. And I, I think we've seen a ton of raw political talent in the prime minister. Let's look at those photos of the movies in the last week. Like that's that's raw political talent. Um, you know, he's he's taking a, an issue that's been difficult for him and difficult for his family. And uh, he's making all of the right people angry and making all the right people smile. And uh, he's a master. He and his people around him are So you would say, Ken uh, Bolson, cool that uh, taking a selfie with your daughter after watching Oppenheimer, taking a selfie with your son after watching Barbie, uh, you're saying that just doing those things and the way he does them demonstrates to a pro like you that Justin Trudeau has a hell of a lot of raw political talent. Uh, I I hate the idea of uh, politics bringing families into it. I've had some negative experience of that myself in the past. But the reality is, is that Justin Trudeau is a politician. And the reality is, is that he made an announcement a couple of weeks ago that him and Sophie, uh, sadly, um, because we're, we're all in family called difficult and challenges and happiness and, and the opposite. Sadly, they decided they're leaving. And when they made that announcement, they knew, and Justin Trudeau would have known that despite the best efforts of people like me and you who say, this is, this is a kind of business that we should let these people do uh, outside of the public glare, that the public is going to be interested going on there. And there's just a natural appetite for that kind of stuff. 
And Justin Trudeau could have fed that appetite by being secretive and letting rumors swirl, or he could feed that appetite by putting a couple of pictures up that put him, uh, put him in an interesting light and showed him that he was taking his son to a feminist movie and his daughter to a, and, uh, look, was it all calculated? I don't, I don't know. Does he have raw political talent? Absolutely. Is that a better, (laughs) is that, are those two pictures, uh, better than a bunch of titillating stories about what may or may not have led to the divorce? Absolutely. And, you know, he saw communications hole and he filled it. And, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm first in line to say we should keep people's private lives out of politics, but here we are. He, he decided, he decided otherwise. And as a political, pure political strategist, I have to say, it was some pretty brilliant moves. So the takeaway from this uh, conversation is conservative political strategist Ken Bosinkul says Justin Trudeau has an unfrickin' amount of raw political talent. Oh, I I was I was in I was in the conservative campaign at a very senior level when we went into we went into the 2015 campaign and it was third and we were making fun of his hair. And he turned us into a pretzel and won the election. Now, we did some of that to ourselves, and we could talk about that. But the reality is, is Justin Trudeau has an unbelievable amount of political talent. And if you're sitting around Pierre Polyev and you don't think that, then you deserve to lose. Because as Stephen Harper always used to start our election, he used to say, never underestimate your opponent. And I think it would be it would be extremely unwise for conservatives to underestimate the raw political talent of Justin Trudeau. Well, no uh, conservative uh, or liberal, no warrior mm. ever deserves very much respect for underestimating uh, the opponent. That's one of the reasons I've got so much respect for you, Ken Bosenkul, whether it's uh, academics, whether it's economics, uh, public policy, political consulting. Uh, whatever it is that you're doing, I'm interested. I follow you on, on Twitter. I'm happy to have you on the show, and I hope we can do this more frequently. Ah, I look forward to coming back again. Ken Bosenkul, with the best equipment I've seen in the podcast business so far, and Ken is based in rural Alberta. I want to thank you all for, for joining us. Once again, the Charles Adler Show, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you don't have time to hear the entire show, you can catch it on demand on your favorite podcast app, Google, Spotify, Apple, you name it. Thank you very much for being here. I'm Charles Adler. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press, and every day at criermedia.co.